Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist and accredited advanced gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist a sex and intimacy coach, author and presenter, and I have been working for the past 30 plus years helping people to create and maintain incredible relationships containing amazing sex without shame. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet, one letter at a time, and today the letter is D. And D is for disinformation. Now, most of the time, um, when you say disinformation, people can make mistake and consider and think about misinformation. (laughs) Excuse me. Disinformation is false information. Um, And it's usually disseminated by somebody who is trying to deliberately mislead. So it's propaganda. It's knowingly or intentionally spread. Misinformation is just information that is wrong. Okay? Really important. So let's talk a bit about disinformation when it comes to sex and relationships. And this is an area that it can sometimes be difficult to pinpoint. The most glaring example is the information that is perpetrated, put about around 
um, LGBTIQ and around pornography and around um, the need for purity, the value in purity. And so these are the areas that you may or may not um, have run into disinformation on the internet around. So um, remember that we're talking about disinformation as opposed to misinformation, where misinformation is information that is just wrong. And there's loads and loads and loads of wrong information. But there is um, a lot of information that is pushed forward um, with an agenda. Um, and that is what I would look at as disinformation as opposed to misinformation. So let's um, start with the idea that people actively choose their um, sexuality, that this is something that um, people actively choose easily and that um, you can be influenced in your sexuality intensely by... Um, growing up around people who have uh, an agenda. For those of you who watch the news or listen to the news regularly, you will have heard things like the homosexual agenda, that somehow people are influenced, choose to become gay um, because they grow up around people who tell them that being gay is a good thing and they're seeing it. They, they grew up with gay parents and therefore they are influenced in choosing gayness. This is active disinformation. Active, active disinformation. The research still suggests that It's not true. Um, one of the things we know from, from twin and adoption studies is that sexual preference definitely has a genetic component. So a gay man is far more likely than a straight man to have a biologically gay brother. Lesbians are more likely than straight women to have gay sisters. In 1993, there was a study published in the Journal of Science that showed families with two homosexual brothers were likely to have certain generic markers on a region of the X chromosome, known as XQ28. I mean, there have been, this did lead to the idea that there was a gay gene, which is not true. Um, but 
there certainly seems to be a genetic component. And if you look at families, it is frequent that you will find when you look at family and extended family that in families where there is one LGBTQ person, there are likely to be more than one LGBTQ person, and they may not be living in the same home. So they're not necessarily growing up in the same environment. Therefore, that was um, something that impacted them because they're growing up in an environment that promotes gayness. Um, However, of course, it is not just nature. Nature and nurture have an input And so if you grow up in an environment where um, all forms of sexuality are accepted, well, then you're more likely to express more forms of sexuality. So if you grew up and you see um, homosexuality as, as being an okay thing, then you are more likely to try homosexual sex if you are inclined to do so. So this suggests the combination of nature and nurture is really more about um, there is a genetic predisposition and um, also environment can either inhibit or encourage the expression of your sexuality. Now, what's the reason for the disinformation? Well, for people with an agenda who see uh, LGBTQ sexualities as being dangerous or being um, potentially uh, problematic religiously, well, the agenda is that's of saying you can choose is that, of course, if you choose your sexuality um, and genetics has nothing to do with it, then you can unchoose it. Um, and this is how you end up with things like conversion therapy, which has been shown to be damaging and abusive and not to work. So that's one place where there is um, certainly a lot of disinformation about a ton of disinformation about. Again, one of the things that you have to remember is that most of these things where there's disinformation about are nuanced. Things that are nuanced um, are things that have concepts that have many layers to them behaviors that have many layers to them, feelings that have many layers to them. Um, And so there are no black and white answers. And disinformation and nuance don't go well together. Um, Disinformation that's very black and white works the best. People look for simplistic answers, and these are not simplistic topics. So it's really important to remember that sexuality, Sex and relationships and gender are all very nuanced. And so you should be really clear that if I say this is, that the things that say 100% one thing, the things, statements that are incredibly black and white, 
are often suspect. That we should think twice when we see very simplistic, very definitive statements. It is very difficult to change one's sexual orientation. There's a variety of reasons why it's difficult to change one's sexual orientation. Only one of which is the fact that sexual orientation has a genetic component. It's also got other physical components, hormonal and developmental components that can make it quite difficult to change. And because of that, really trying to shift something like this becomes very difficult. Also, things that bring us great pleasure and great pleasure quickly, behaviors that bring us great pleasure, overwhelming pleasure and great pleasure quickly are overwhelmingly difficult to shift in therapy. If you look at things um, like drug and alcohol addiction, while people can learn to abstain, the tendency, the, the at risk for further addiction is always there. And that's because the, the actions are inherently pleasurable. So for those for whom same-sex acts are inherently pleasurable, trying to change that is incredibly difficult. Disinformation leads people to believe that, yes, if one just did the right therapy, things would change. This has been disproven over and over and over again. As a therapist who's worked with people for 35 years, I can tell you that attempts to change sexuality, in my clinical experience, are almost entirely useless. So much so that if someone comes to me looking to get rid of an aspect of their sexuality, I will not treat them to try and help them get rid of something. I um, will help people to become comfortable with who they are. Um, and only if the sexual behavior that they are trying to get rid of is something that will harm someone else. So it's something that's non-consensual and something that will harm someone else. Only then would I suggest treatment to try to get rid of it, and, and I won't take that on. Um, I did bits of that when I, I worked with um, sex offenders. At the very beginning of my career for a while, I don't do that anymore, and I would refer somebody. But that's the only time that I would suggest that um, it is worth looking at trying to change something, because it is really, really hard, even when people are really, really motivated because they're going to go to jail. Right. The next biggest piece of disinformation, um, pornography addiction. There's a ton of political hay to be made by talking about pornography as causing all sorts of things. Uh, for example, people will quote research studies that sex offenders have, you know, watched lots of pornography. 
One of the problems for the average person is the average person does not know how to read and interpret research. So the average person gets their information about research from the uh, newspaper or the internet or social media or news programs. Basically, they're getting their information about research as interpreted by others. And so there's one thing, and I should say right now that I have a PhD, um, which means I did a research dissertation. And what I happened to do um, was actually treatment outcomes. So I did a quite complicated piece of research in order to get my final degree um, or my penultimate degree. And I also have done research since then. Um, and while I don't do it often, there are some basic things I can tell you uh, that have to do with reading research that's important. And the first thing is, is that lots of research is correlative. And what that means is that the research will find a correlation between two things. A correlation, a statistically significant correlation, so that's a mathematical thing, means that there is a significant, by statistics, now, how significant depends on how many people were in the study, depends on how representative the sample was, so whether or not the sample represents the group of people that you're in, right? Um, so, for example, if there's a sample of men between the ages of 40 and 70, from East Timbuktu, you cannot apply the outcome of that research to a woman age 60 from Nova Scotia, okay? It has to be a representative sample. So the best studies are larger studies, of course. It doesn't mean smaller studies are worthless. It's just when you're looking at what you're seeing. The best studies are larger studies and they are they are representative. They represent a population of people. That means the researchers looked for gender, ethnicity, um, nationality, um, socioeconomic status, and age, and all of these factors. And they tried to create a sample that represented the largest population. So a piece of research that is is being shared um, that has been, the sample has been created from the American public. They would want it to represent what the actual demographics of America look like. So that's one bit. But the other thing is that a correlation means a relationship. For example, I could do a piece of research For example, I could do a piece of research that finds that chocolate is correlated with happiness. The research might say that the more chocolate you eat, the happier you are. 
Or the piece of research might be one where we look at a number of factors to find out what has the highest relationship with reported feelings of happiness. And it's not difficult for me to believe that chocolate might have a very high correlation with happiness for some people. That doesn't mean that chocolate causes happiness. A correlation does not tell you what the cause is. You need other statistics to look for a causal relationship. Now, people rarely understand this when they're reading research reported in a newspaper. Right? So, for example, there was a study in 1996 that suggested that chocolate caused the release of endorphins in the brains of American women and endorphins make people feel happy. Okay, this was supposedly a causative piece of research. The only thing is I can't actually find the original study. I can only find the reporting of the study. But let's assume that they're using the word caused correctly and that this was a causal study and it was the chocolate that released the endorphins. Okay, that's actually causative. Most of the time, though, the studies have 10 or 15 or 20 elements, and they're looking for the relationships and the highest and most intense relationship. And so this same study said, well, chocolate does contain a, contain a number of compounds associated with mood-lifting chemicals in the brain. Doesn't cause mood-lifting chemicals? We don't know. We know that they're associated with, there's a relationship, for example, between tryptophan causing mood lifting, and the fact that there is tryptophan in chocolate, right? So it is the relationship. So one of the biggest things that happens in terms of disinformation, when it comes to pornography, is that associations are made, relationships are talked about as though they're causative. Yes, lots of sex offenders have watched pornography. Many more sex offenders have watched lots of violent pornography. That is not what made them sex offenders. In fact, causally, it might actually go the other way. Because they're sex offenders, because this is what turns them on, they might be watching this kind of pornography. But if you don't read the research, you don't know. You, and you have to be good enough at reading the research to be able to understand the statistics. If you rely on other people reporting it, it's problematic because frequently they report it as though there's a causative factor when there isn't. Why would they do that? Why would there be disinformation around pornography? But because many people have a moral aversion to pornography and a moral aversion to encouraging any kind of sexual um, activity and sexual exploration, and therefore, particularly outside of marital relationship, and therefore, they see value in anything that suggests that pornography causes problems. Um and especially using something like addict. 
Unfortunately, addict doesn't work here either. We throw the word addict around all the time when actually an addiction has a physiological component. The only time it's really appropriate to use the addiction model is when you're talking about somebody having a physical dependence on something that when it is removed, they will go through physical withdrawal, not psychological withdrawal, not emotional withdrawal. That's not an addiction. That may be um, an abuse. For example, you may abuse marijuana, but being addicted to marijuana, no, because it doesn't cause physiological withdrawal symptoms. Whereas you certainly can be addicted to cocaine because if you take the cocaine away, once the person's developed a physical dependence on it, they will go through, excuse me, a physical withdrawal symptom. Pornography does not cause an addiction. There are people who compulsively watch pornography. Compulsions are anxiety behaviors. Okay? So if pornography is actually a difficulty for a person, one should look at what they are using the pornography to avoid. As with other things that people use, with anxiety. Dr. David Lay is probably one of the best known um, uh, speakers on the topic of pornography not being an addiction um, and and actually pornography having some positive benefits in some cases rather than just being a negative. Um, He is a clinical psychologist in practice in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he's the executive director of New Mexico Solutions. Uh, which is a large behavioral program. And if you're interested in a lot about what he has to say about this, do look up on the A to Z of sex, P is for pornography, because I did, uh, I think it was my first season, actually interview him on this topic and had a conversation with him on this topic. So you can hear in much more detail about what he thinks. But um, I'm looking at um, an article that he did for in 2014 and what he notes is, is that the reason that pornography addiction wasn't included in the recently revised Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders was because of a lack of scientific data. Uh, fewer than two in every five research articles about high-frequency sexual behavior described it as being an addiction. And only 27% of articles on the subject actually contain data. Um, And only one related psychophysiological study appeared in 2013. Basically, most of the research around this um, has poor experimental design. It doesn't clearly explain the model. And um, there is... Uh, very little scientific rigor around it. There was no sign that the use of pornography is connected to erectile dysfunction, that it causes changes to any of the brains of any of the users. Um, And despite the great political hay made over the effects of childhood exposure to pornography, the use of sexually explicit material explains very little of the variance in adolescent sexual behaviors. They're much better explained and predicted by other individual and family variables. 
it's really important to explore this one deeply and to spend a good deal of time researching impact of pornography with the understanding of how to read research. If you have a concern about somebody um, who is using a lot of pornography um, and not having um, sex with their partner, for example, which is why people do present um, for therapy, you'd be better off looking at the literature on compulsive sexual behavior. There is a lot of evidence that um, pornography can be used as a means of trying to decrease anxiety, just as repeatedly washing one's hands can be used as a means of trying to decrease anxiety as part of a compulsive disorder. Sometimes it's part of an obsessive compulsive disorder. This is an anxiety disorder and treatment is wholly different if, if in fact that is what a person has. But there's a ton of disinformation on this subject, a ton. So I encourage you to combat disinformation to do two things. One is to see if you can find the original source research and then read that. Now, if you find this difficult because you're not somebody who's really learned how to read research or um, has uh, studied anything where the statistics was involved, um, there are resources available to help you learn. For example, there is a book that's in its sixth edition called How to Read a Paper, The Basics of Evidence-Based Medicine and Healthcare by Trisha Greenhag. Okay, so there's, there's just one right there. Um, let's see. That's the most common one. There's um, also, also, Research Papers for Dummies. That is actually an easy read. It gives you all the basics that you need to be able to learn how to read a research paper and make sense out of it so that you don't fall prey to disinformation. So that's one thing that you can do in order to combat disinformation. The second thing that you can do is to start by using your common sense and ask yourself a couple of questions. Is there an agenda behind this pronouncement? So when you look at things like um, the stuff on pornography, is there potentially an agenda? Well, yes, there are many political agendas. There are religious agendas. There are moral agendas that people have that um, influence the way in which they report this stuff. So is there an agenda? If so, what is it? Think to yourself, what could the agenda be here? What would they gain if I bought into this way of thinking about this? Right? Not sure. What would we gain? Important thing to think about. That, together with learning how to read a research paper, will help you sort what is disinformation from misinformation. 
Now, I can't tell you how many things there's misinformation on. Um, I am frightened by some of the stuff on the internet about sex and relationships. Uh, There's a ton. (laughs) But that usually is not put forth deliberately to try and push an agenda or confuse. But it's there. There's lots of it. So let's talk briefly about this. So there are tons of sex myths that teens and adults are still talking about, despite the fact that they've been debunked over and over and over and over. Um, And this is because um, sex education still is not only not comprehensive, um, but is still non-existent in so many places. Um, Teaching abstinence only means that you have a bunch of people who have no information about sex and relationships. And when the time comes and they need it, they don't even know where to go to look for it to make sure that it comes from a credible source. And this is one of the issues. You have to make sure it comes from a credible source. But here are some of the most common myths that are still being talked about. Is this frightening? Uh, So the first one is a set of myths about whether when you can get pregnant. So it's called the you can't get pregnant. So you can't get pregnant if a person doesn't ejaculate inside the vagina. Well, technically that's true, except that there is uh, viable semen before ejaculation. So pulling out, as the method was known, um, is almost guaranteed at some point to make sure that you do get pregnant because there is viable semen in pre-ejaculate. So there it is. Then there is also, let's see, you can't get pregnant from, um, and the related one is that from from pre-cum, right? Yes, you can, even if the penis wasn't in the vagina. If the pre-cum was near enough to the vagina, close enough to the vagina to get inside for the little swimmers to swim, you're done. You can't get pregnant if it's your first time. That's another one, which I I just like, oh my God, really? Um, Yes, of course you can. You can't get pregnant if you stand up after sex. Not true. You can't get pregnant if you wash after sex. Also not true. You can't get pregnant if you've not had your first period yet. Also not true because you ovulate just before your first period. So, you know, if you're within two weeks of your first period, there is the chance that you could get pregnant. You can't get pregnant if you have sex in a jacuzzi or a shower. Again, not true. Heat does not neutralize sperm, nor does chlorine. So, wow. It's not, um, that isn't because the sperm will be swimming around in the pool water. We're talking about if the penis is in the vagina and ejaculates in the vagina while you're in the pool. Let's be clear about that. 
Okay, as you can see, this is a bunch of misinformation. Another one of my favorite ones, com condoms aren't effective. Condoms are 98% effective at preventing pregnancy. Um, and they're also uh, 98 to 99% effective at preventing sexually transmitted infections. You know what accounts for the rest of those percents? Um, when people, the condom slips off, if they don't have the right size, um, in quotes, yeah, well, most, most condoms fit most people. Let's just put it that way. Um, if people try to reuse them, <laughs> and, and if there's a hole or a rip or a tear in the condom, that's when you have a problem. Um, interestingly enough, some people think that if you double them up, that'll make it easier. Uh, that'll be better protection, but actually that is more likely to lead to a rip or a tear. So that's just a bit of the misinformation that's out there. So how do you get past misinformation? Look, know your sources, right? Make sure that you go to reputable websites if you're looking for information on sex and intimacy and relationships. Make sure you're getting that information from reputable sources. Um, also, fact check and look for information being repeated in many places. That doesn't mean that misinformation can't be repeated in many places, because of course it can. It's quite frightening how often that happens. But look to see, you know, if you've gone to the Planned Parenthood website, for example, um, and then the NHS website, um, and you find that you get the same information or similar information there. So compare reputable websites to get a range of opinion. Talk to people that you know um, who have the information. And also consider things like books, because they do exist. And there are some good ones that have information on all aspects of sex, intimacy, and relationships, and are worthwhile looking at to gain your information that way. That will combat not only misinformation, but it will also combat disinformation. Always try and get information from more than one source. It's the best thing I can suggest to help make sure that you get the best information possible. And if something doesn't sound right or feel right to you, look further into it. You know, sometimes something won't sound right, but it'll turn out to be true. But a lot of times the reason that something doesn't sound right or feel right is because it isn't. So it is worth looking into something more than once in order to figure out whether actually it makes sense. That's what I've got for this week. If you have questions about anything to do with sex, intimacy, and relationships, please feel free to either DM me on my social media. Um, Instagram is at Dr. Bisbee. So is Twitter. TikTok is Lori Beth UK. Facebook, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. 
go ahead and DM me and put your question in there. I do collect those questions and I will put them together in a question episode. Sometimes I'll take your suggestions and actually make an entire episode out of your suggestions. Uh, If there's somebody that you think you want to hear me talk with, want to hear me have a conversation with, please do let me know. And if you have their contact details, even better stick that in a DM and I will invite them and we can have a conversation. Uh, I don't need to agree with them. I often have conversations with people with whom I disagree and we learn from each other and we can agree to disagree and that's fine. So do feel free to suggest somebody or multiple people for the show. It's really, really useful for people to have reviews to look at, to know that a podcast is something they would be interested in. Unfortunately, people really do have a rough time leaving reviews. And I've noticed that for sex and relationship podcasts and books, people take even longer to leave reviews. So I am making this request and I am incentivizing it. Please leave a review. Every month, I will draw one name from the people who leave reviews for any of my content podcast, uh, courses, workshops, books, as long as I can verify the review, I will put their name into a draw and I will draw one name for a 30 minute free session with me and we can cover any topic you like. Um, This is a value you can't get anywhere else. I don't offer these anymore um, because Things have become too busy. So all sessions with me are paid sessions. Um, When people want individual information for me to answer their personal situation in a question, um, that costs as well. So this is one way to gain access to me, to ask me a question or to talk about an issue that will cost you absolutely zero. All you have to do is leave a review, an honest review. Send me your email. So email me at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com so that I know, hey, you're so-and-so who left the review because I don't get your emails when you leave reviews and I will stick your name into the hat and I will pull it out and maybe you'll be the lucky one that month who will win the 30 minutes free with me. Also do sign up for my regular... um, freebie on the website, drlauribethbisbee.com. You can sign up for a freebie that will put you on my mailing list and you will be able to learn about events, uh, new content, new things that are going on, any specials that are happening uh, before anyone else. People on my uh, mailing list learn things first. Um, People in my group learn things second. So here it is. If you want to be in to know everything that's going on first, head over to drlauribethbisbee.com, download this month's freebie, and um, you will be on the mailing list, and I will let you know what's happening. I wish you all a brilliant week, and thank you for listening. Next week, the letter is E. Now, I am still in transition. I'm still in the middle of a move, as I said. Um, And so I'm not sure next week whether it will be um, a new topic or a question and answer um, cast, but it will be interesting nonetheless. If you have questions that you want to be answered soon, I would put them in now because I'm doing a bunch of Q&A podcasts at the moment while I'm making this move. 
I look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it, but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLoriBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com and I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy. <laughs>